Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Well, it's just a real privilege uh, to have uh, Pastor David Shepherd with us today. Um, Friday and Saturday, uh, we've been having a youth conference, hence the banners. I did those drawings myself uh, during the week. I had a bit of a shot at it. And um, so... <laughs> I'm not the creative one in our family, I can assure you. Uh, and we just had some great services and a great experience with the guys. And Pastor David is going to be sharing uh, uh, this morning, obviously, and also uh, tonight at our last, uh, our last meeting together. Uh, for those that don't know Pastor David, he's uh, uh, the lead pastor at Hills Baptist Church. He's just a great man of God, has a, a long-standing relationship with our church, with our young people. Uh, he's a man of the word. He's a man of the spirit. Uh, and every time he, he speaks, God, God speaks through him. And um, we've always been blessed by his ministry. And so it's just a real privilege to have him share the word of God today. So will you give him a big, big, big warm welcome as he comes uh, to minister the word today. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you all. How are you all? We're doing well. It's great to be here. It's great to see you all. And I, um, I just want to firstly say that this place is beginning to feel a whole lot like home. Um, I bring you greetings from Hills Baptist. You guys are very much becoming like family. And so we honour you, Pastor Joe, and the whole team. God's doing a mighty work here. And uh, I'm really excited to see what's going to continue to unfold uh, because as the Spirit of God moves in the people of God, especially in a city, there's something about the city, when God grabs hold of a city, that that's going to overflow and it's going to move into the suburbs, into the hills, into the surrounding districts. Because I believe God wants to revive our land and I believe it's going to start with Adelaide and that uh, God is doing something amazing. We're going to dive straight into the Word today, John chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from the ESV because I, uh, I brought my big Bible instead of my small Bible, so it might be NIV on the screen, but ESV, John chapter 21, reading through 1 through 7, it says this, After Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Everyone say fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in. How good? Because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we thank you that your word is powerful. We thank you that your word is alive and active. We thank you that it is able to 
penetrate to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. We pray that you would do that today. That those who need that physical healing, those who need that physical touch, that physical transformation will receive it in joint and marrow. And Lord God, those who need a revived soul, we pray today that your word would do its work and penetrate to dividing soul and spirit. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus. And all the saints said, Amen. 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 I want to preach today on the, the topic of the sufficiency of surrender. So if you're a note taker, get the pens out, the notes out. We learn best when we engage with all of our senses through writing and feel free to talk back to me. I'll tell our church all the time, don't just sit there with your arms folded, talk back to me, engage, because we're in this to learn and grow in God. Amen. And so John chapter 21 is a word that God has put on my heart. Um, about a month ago, I was praying and I said to the Lord, what do you want me to say? What word do you want to bring? My mentor used to always say to me, always sit with God and say, what word do you have for your people? It's not about what I want to say, it's what he wants to say. And so I said, what do you want to say? What do you, what do you want to bring? And I felt straight away, over a month ago, he just dropped this word, Peter, the life of Peter. And as we were worshipping just then, I felt a stirring in my spirit to say, for some of you this morning, this is a reminder. For some of you this morning, what you're going to hear is going to be fresh revelation. But for some of you this morning, this morning is a resurrection moment. Some of you this morning are struggling with all sorts of different things. And you're on the edge. And the Lord wants to bring a resurrection moment. Maybe it's a resurrection of faith. Maybe it's a resurrection of purpose, a resurrection of hope. I don't know, but I just sensed that, that word drop in my heart as we were worshipping. And so I want you to just to prepare your hearts, prepare your soul, because God has a great and mighty word for us this morning in John chapter 21. You know, many, uh, many years ago now, uh, my, uh, I was engaged to the woman who is now my beautiful wife. We've been married 15 years as of January, which is exciting. <laughs> And so um, it was probably six months before we were getting married and we were invited to her cousin's wedding. Now, her cousin grew up in country Victoria in a little town called Murrayville and she, uh, she was getting married to this beautiful Iranian man. So a man who'd been through a whole lot in his life and found himself in Adelaide. They, they connected, got engaged and they were getting married. And so they were getting married in this country town, Murrayville, in this little town hall with old floorboards and uh, with this beautiful blend of uh, Australian culture and Persian culture. And I don't know if you've ever been to an Iranian wedding. Anyone been to an Iranian wedding before? <clears throat> There's this beautiful practice, this beautiful thing they do, where they have bowls of crystallised sugar filled with five-cent pieces. And what you do, as people are dancing, you throw that crystallised sugar and five cent pieces up into the air, you celebrate, you dance, you make a noise and it sort of falls everywhere. I don't know if you've ever been hit in the head with a five cent piece from 10 metres. That hurts, right? So we're out there dancing, having fun and this crystallised sugar is going everywhere and these old floorboards are getting slipperier and slipperier. And so you start, you know, you're dancing, you're having a good time and all of a sudden you're slipping and you start to fall over and everyone's slipping and so I being an introvert that I am, thought it would be a great idea to try and do a bit of a power slide on the dance floor. 
So I run back, and at the top of my voice, I say, check this out. The seas part, everyone's watching, and I just start sprinting. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how's this going to play out? You know how they say the time flies when you're having fun, right? But there's other times when it's sort of the reverse of that, when your mind's just going a thousand miles an hour. So I'm, I'm like sprinting at the floor. I'm thinking, probably don't slide on your knees because you might lose control and the, the bridal table's right there. So you're going to want to just do the old, you know, risky business power slide. And so I run, I go for the slide. And the moment I, I jump, and because we've been sliding all over the place, I slide for about 30 centimetres and then my feet grip. Now, I don't know if you've ever been sprinting and tried to slide and you just come to a stop, but it's kind of like hitting a trampoline. And so in this moment, I'm sprinting and I go into the power slide and I, go, and I just stop and all my momentum's going that way, friction's going that way, and my body just gets like thrown out of control. I start spinning and spinning and it's in that moment that time slows down. I kid you not, I feel like five years went past in about five seconds. And as I am tumbling and spiralling out of control, I'm just thinking to myself, oh, good Lord, there's the bridal table, there's the family, there's my future wife. I'm in an awful lot of trouble. And I, like, twisting and contorting, and the last thing I remember seeing is my sister-in-law, now sister-in-law, back then just my, you know, my fiancé's little sister, should have been year 11, and she's doing this. <laughs> and I sort of reach out to her, and she goes like this. <laughs> and the next thing I know, crash. And my back goes slamming into the bridal table, I know, please forgive me. And the, the bridal table just goes, like, gets pushed back and the bridal table had these enormous vases on them filled with flowers and water and candles. And so the candle falls over, but praise God that the vases also fell over so we didn't end up with fire, but vases are smashing, water's everywhere. I'm, the next thing I realise, I'm, I'm under the bridal table... <laughs> I fair dinkum have a candle on my head. I've got wax all down my shirt. There is water everywhere. The, the best man's present, which was this beautiful glass sculpture, is lying on the floor in pieces next to me. And I'm under the table with the cloth here, and I'm just thinking, oh, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> Everything's quiet. Everyone's looking at me. And again, guess who the first person there was? My little sister-in-law lifts up the tablecloth and she goes, oh. <laughs> then I make the decision after that, I think I look over and I see the smoke machine on the floor and I think, oh no, I've done that. And so I walk over to the smoke machine and I'm about to pick it up and I hear the groomsmen say, no, David, because I hadn't knocked that over. That was just there. But I picked it up and then the liquid fog goes all over the floor, which is toxic and poisonous and not supposed to be outside of that. And so in the end, everything stops. Everyone goes outside while the best man spends the next half an hour like uh, mopping the floor, cleaning the floor, just cleaning up the mess. Absolute chaos. My wife comes over and she says, I think, I think we better go outside. 
my fiance back at the time. So we go outside and the next thing I remember is sitting in this corner while everyone's sort of cleaning up and mingling outside and I'm just sitting there with my head in my hands, completely embarrassed, utterly ashamed, thinking to myself, well, that's probably it. Can't undo that. I think I might just sit in this corner for the rest of my life and hang my head in shame. I've got George Michael playing, I'm never going to dance again. You know, all this sort of stuff going on. I'm thinking, what have I done? That's the last family gathering. I'm probably not going to get married now. She's going to disown. I'm just like utterly and completely ashamed in that moment. And as I was reading John chapter 1, John chapter 21, I felt the Lord just prompt my heart and I say, I wonder if there's anyone here who's ever got stuck on the dance floor of life. I wonder if there's anyone here who's ever taken off in faith, in life, thinking to themselves, this is just going to be one glorious glide. This is just going to be, this, I've got it all mapped out. I know the plans the Lord has for me, plans to prosper me and give me a hope and a future. I can't wait to go on this journey with God. And somewhere along the way, you got stuck. Somewhere along the way, something happened. Your feet gripped. Maybe you hurt someone. Maybe someone hurt you. Maybe something didn't go as you expected it to go. Sickness, illness, conflict, trouble. I don't know what it is, but I wonder if there's anyone here whose feet have ever got stuck on the dance floor of life and you found yourself sitting in that metaphorical corner experiencing nothing but shame, embarrassment, and thinking, what am I going to do now? How could God ever use me now? And I felt the Lord prompt my heart today to speak to some people, maybe with some bumps, maybe with some bruises, but definitely with some baggage. And I felt this word drop on my heart that your baggage is not too big for God's blessing. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know if you've come here today and this is the last thread, but I felt to say your baggage is not too big for God's blessing. And I sense him send me today so you just scoot over in that little corner because I want to come and sit with you. And I want to encourage you that it's time to start stretching because it's time to get up. And it's time to get back into it. You weren't created to sit in that corner. God has something for your life. You are not alone. And he does have a purpose for you. And he will work all things together for the good. I believe the promises of God for those who love him. And as you come to John chapter 21, what you're going to see is that Peter is in a very, very similar place. You see context. Let's look at the context. Bible readers know the story of Peter. He's been one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the close three, one of those people who have followed him, who have experienced uh, every every one of his miracles, every one of his powerful engagements on the earth, who sat with his teaching, who's seen the transfiguration, like Peter has seen some stuff. And Peter 
denied Christ three times. And after he denies him, he runs outside as he sees the Lord look at him and he begins to weep and he begins to mourn. Jesus dies on a cross, but then word comes to Peter that Jesus is risen. And not only has Jesus risen, Jesus has appeared to him. But the difference is, is whereas before Jesus dwelt with them, every moment, now it's an appear and then a disappear. It's an appear and it's a disappear. You with me? And so he's in and out, in and out. And you get this sense that Peter and the disciples must be sitting there going, what does this all mean? Like, what's going on here? What does our future look like? What do we have to do? And Peter, in 21, lands at this moment where they're all sitting by the Sea of Tiberias, all of them together, and you have to believe that they're talking about these things. You have to believe they're going, what, like, what next? He's risen. He's appeared to us. What does this mean for us? And in this moment, Peter says something so interesting. He says, I'm going fishing. Now, church, this isn't a holiday fishing. This isn't a, gee, I'm worn out. I need to go put my broad brim hat on and, you know, get the squid jig out and throw that into the ocean and cook myself some calamari. That's not what this is. This isn't a restful, recuperative moment. In the Greek, when you read it, a better translation is actually, I'm going back to fishing. Because fishing is what Peter did for a job before the whole Jesus thing. Yeah? This is what he did for a living. And so Peter is now sitting in this moment. He's looking at his past. He's looking at his mistakes. He's looking at everything that has transpired. And as he sits there and reflects on his future, he's like this profound moment that says, well, what good am I? How can God use me now? What would, even with Jesus resurrected, how could he possibly have use or even desire to, to have relationship with me after everything that's happened? I'm done. I'm going back to fishing. That's the context of this moment. But within this moment, we see some things that are so amazing about our Jesus. Because Peter has some baggage, right? Peter's got some baggage. And I'm going to give you the condensed version for the sake of time. You'll have to come back at 11.45 for the, for the bigger version. But what you're going to see here is that Peter has some baggage. And the first piece of baggage that he has is the baggage of abandonment. I wonder if there's anyone here who's ever felt this baggage of abandonment. But let me, let, me, let me push it. Can I push it just for a little bit? You see, we know that Peter abandoned Jesus, don't we? We know that in Jesus' greatest moment of need, when Jesus had gone through the garden, Peter fell asleep. When Jesus said, pray with me, Peter fell asleep. Jesus goes to the cross after Peter had said, I'll never deny you. I'll never abandon you. I'll never forsake you. What does Peter do? Three times. I don't know you. You see, there's this sense that Peter has abandoned Christ, but here's what the Lord's just been speaking to me about as I've been reading the scriptures. Actually, I think there's something much deeper going on here in that it's not just the sense of Peter's abandonment of Jesus. I think Peter has a deep sense that he has been abandoned by Jesus. Let me explain it to you. You see, when you think about Peter as a young man, he's a Jew, right? And as a Jew growing up, he learns the scriptures. They memorize the Torah by the age of 11. Extraordinary. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But he has this teaching all along that there's going to be a Messiah. 
And that that Messiah is going to be a physical military king who has come to overthrow the Roman Empire and to reestablish Israel, to reestablish Jerusalem as the city of God. This is what every Jewish boy and girl grew up believing. Now watch, watch the journey. Peter, in, what, in, in ministering with Jesus, what does he see Jesus do? He sees Jesus feed the hungry with nothing but a few loaves and a few fish. Now, when your mind has been ingrained with this idea that you've got a military ruler coming and you're thinking, preparing for war, preparing for battle, and all of a sudden you're like, well, this guy can feed us when we're out in the desert with no food. Tick, yes? You're starting to get excited. Then he starts to do things like heal the sick. And you're like, well, if we get sick, if we get unwell, if there's disease, if there's injury, this guy, this military, powerful, messianic king can come and lay hands on us and we're well instantaneously. What army can defeat an army that has someone who can touch hands and go, oh, I'm strong again? Tick. This Jesus can turn water to wine. You get the sense that he can therefore have power over the physical world. This Jesus can walk on water. This Jesus can calm the storms. Again, you're at battle, you're at war, you're running low on supplies. What can this Jesus do? Bang, miracle, supply, meeting all your needs. I can give you water when you're thirsty. I can fulfill every physical need. I can manipulate the world in which you live. I can cause chaos to come upon our enemies. And you're thinking, oh, tick. And then the kicker, he raises someone from the dead. You're at war against Rome. You're at war against the world. You die. This Messiah, he can lay hands on you. And you're risen from the dead. Oh, I'm ready to go to war. And then he sees the transfiguration. And he knows beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is God's Messiah but he has an expectation of who that Messiah will be. And here's the thing, Jesus keeps saying all throughout the New Testament, no, 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 I'm going to die. And we know you read, you read in the book of Luke, you read in the book of Matthew, where, where Jesus says, I'm going to die. And Peter's like, you're not going to die. Do you see it? Do you see where he's coming from? He's got this in his heart. He genuinely believes that Jesus is going to be a particular, oh, I believe you're the Messiah, but he has an expectation of who that Messiah will be. And Jesus is like, no, that's not going to happen. And Peter's like, no, 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 you're, you're, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. Jesus even says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the plans of God. And Peter still doesn't get it. And so there's all these words coming at Peter to try and say, it's going to be different from what you expected, but it's hard to break through an entire lifetime of worldview thinking. And so Peter's expecting a particular Messiah. And we have this idea that, that Peter denied Jesus because he was afraid, right? How many of you have heard that before? How many of you in reading the scriptures have actually read that before? When I read the Bible, I see nothing in there that suggests that Peter was fearful. What I see is him drawing his sword in the garden and cutting someone's ear off. Peter was ready to go to war. 
Peter's saying, I will never abandon you. If all else flee, I will not flee. Peter is the one who follows Jesus and he is there even after Jesus is starting to blow his mind and expectations. And I think as Jesus goes to the cross and starts to suffer and die, Peter is so overwhelmed with grief and sorrow and this, his expectations of who the Messiah would be being blown out of the water. Yeah, there's probably some fear in all of there, but I think there's something much deeper going on where Peter's just going, who is this guy? He's not who I thought he was. He hasn't come through for me as I thought he would. And I think we fall into the same trap time and time and time again. Where we put expectations on God, we put expectations on our Messiah and we say, this is who he is. This is what he will do. I know that this is what's going to happen. And when it doesn't happen, confusion strikes and this feeling of abandonment that God let me down. Anyone? Just maybe Peter actually has this baggage of this sense that Jesus didn't come through with what I expected him to do. And then Jesus rises from the dead. And so Peter's mind, just picture it. What is going on in his head right now? He's like, what the heck is going on? I had all these expectations. I actually denied him in that moment of weakness and confusion and disillusionment, discouragement, in all of that. I forsook the one who was going to rise from the dead, who I knew was the Messiah, who I love with all my heart. And I rejected him. And now he's risen from the dead. And now he's appearing to me. And now we're probably going to go to war. What good does he have with me? And he's so confused and he's got all this baggage. Not only is he feeling abandonment, but I think he's feeling embarrassment now. They should all be feeling embarrassment. They all rejected Jesus. They all ran away, except for John and the women. They stayed with him. But there's confusion abounding. Are you with me? Are you picturing this? Have we got our, our, our feet in Peter's shoes for a moment? Confusion. Like, what next? And so in the midst of all of this baggage, Peter goes, I'm done. I'm going fishing. But then he goes fishing and something amazing happens. Something that happened three years ago happens again. Because in Luke 5, we saw the call of Peter. And that's when Peter's fishing with his mates and Jesus comes and stands on the shore and they'd been fishing all night. And Jesus goes, haven't you caught anything? And the Bible very politely says, no. I think reality is, of course not. <laughs> what do you think? And then Jesus is like, just throw your net on the other side. Now, these guys are experienced fishermen. You don't just throw your net on the other side. I like to go fishing in my holidays. I try that all the time. It never works. I'm like, oh, let's just chuck it that way. Maybe no, it never works. They know that doesn't work, but they obey and the net is full. And they're like, who is this? It's where it all began. And then they come in and Jesus says, come, follow me. And they leave their nets and they follow him because they're like, this is, 
Who is this that can do this sort of thing? Jesus does the exact same thing again. And this is what we see no matter what burden you are carrying, abandonment, embarrassment, it doesn't matter what you're carrying. There is nothing bigger than the blessing of covenant. And in the couple of minutes we have left, I've got to just show you some stuff about the covenant. Can we go there? Are you all good? We're going to go there. The covenant of God. Here's the first thing you're going to see as you come to chapter 21 and you look at this. The first thing that happens is that the disciples on the boat in seeing Jesus reenact what he did three years ago, John goes, it is the Lord. They have a revelation. The first key to covenant is revelation. Seeing him rightly. Seeing Jesus for who he is. There's this powerful moment. John's like, that's the Lord. He's come to us. Friends, Jesus comes to us. We don't find Christ. He finds us. He finds us in our mess. When we seek him, we will find him, though he is not far from any one of us because he is searching and seeking us out. There is no baggage too big for the blessing of covenant. The covenant of God will cover all. So he sees him rightly. He has a revelation. And the second thing you see is repentance. Notice the story. Notice the story. Let's just jump back into the text so you know I'm not just making this stuff up. From verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord, revelation. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the fish behind. No, no, no. Peter, in hearing it's the Lord and having that revelation does something before he turned away. When Jesus was being crucified, Peter turned away. In having a revelation that Christ has come for him, Peter turns too. Oh, come on, somebody. And he jumps in the water. He's so excited about who Jesus is and the fact that Jesus has come for him. He won't even just be patient in the boat. He'll turn and he just goes, ah, I'm coming. That's repentance. Repentance is not just sackcloth and ashes and woe is me. No, repentance is turning the other direction and running towards Christ. This is what Peter does. He doesn't have all the answers yet. They won't come until he's filled with the Holy Spirit and all of this stuff makes sense. And then he goes on and be this incredible preacher and teacher and father of the church, right? But in this moment, he's still in confusion, but he knows his hope is in Christ. In his doubt... In his confusion, in his fear, in his pain, in his turmoil, he turns to Jesus. And he jumps in the water and he he runs towards Christ. And then Jesus cooks him breakfast. Because he's relational. Because it's not about religion. It's about relationship. When you have revelation and you repent, you enter into relationship. And as he enters into relationship and he has breakfast, the most incredible thing happens. And the band's going to come up and we're going to close and we're doing brilliantly for time. But in John chapter 21, verse 15 to 19, 
I'm going to read you something that for many, many years confused me. Listen to this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It says that Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him two words. The same words he said at the very beginning. Follow me. For years I read this and I was like, Lord, this is weird. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I was like, is it the three? You know, he denied you three times, so you asked him three times, but I just don't think that's the character of God. And that God's not like, well, you have to do this to meet my expectations, so I've got to do this. And then I learned a bit of Greek. As I started to read this in a different lens, because the Greek have many words for love. We say, I love my cat in the same way we say, I love my wife. But we know that those two things mean something very different for some of you. <laughs> we say, I love chocolate in the same way we say, I love my children. Those two things mean many different things. You know, about a year ago, my kids came up to my wife and they said, do you love us as much as dad? And we'd been talking about this stuff. And Joe said to them, no, I love dad more. <laughs> And that was a joke that they didn't take very well. <laughs> and there were tears and there was probably a week of talking about there's different types of love. We started talking about there's this word storge, which means the love for a parent for children. It's that kind of love that gets you up at three in the morning when they're crying for the 15th night in a row. And you're really annoyed, but you love them. There's this love called eros, from which we derive the word erotic. And unfortunately, because Satan counterfeits everything God's, God creates, we've turned erotic into a bad word when actually it's a beautiful thing that God has given a husband and a wife. That's a whole other message which maybe we'll come to another time. There's also this word called phileo, which means brotherly affection, friendship, a deep friendship, brotherly affection. And then there's agape. And agape means sacrificial, die to self for the betterment of my beloved. That's the love God has for his church. Watch this. Jesus comes to Peter and he says, I'm going to cry. He says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you know what Peter replies? He says, Lord, I phileo you. 
Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, I phileo you. The third time Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Here's what he's saying. Is that all you can give me? Do you just phileo me? Peter replies, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Two Greek words. Who's liking their Bible college lesson this morning? Two Greek words for know. Oido and gnosko. Oido means knowing up here. He goes, you oido all things. You know everything. Gnosko, experiential knowledge. You gnosko that I phileo you. You've seen in my life. You've seen I denied you. I rejected you. I was confused. I was disillusioned. I got it wrong. You know that's all I can give you. I would love to be able to say that I can die for you, that I'm going to give my whole life to you. I wish I could say that, but this, I can't. You know it. All I've got is phileo. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then he goes on and he prophesies and he says, a day will come when you will give your life for me. He's saying a day will come when you will follow me with agape love. Come follow me. Here's the word to the church is that there is a sufficiency in surrender. Sometimes in the church, we think in order to follow God, in order to take up the call of God, that we have to have it all together. We think that we've got to be able to go, yes, I agape you. Yes, I'm going to, I'm going to be praising you at six o'clock in the morning for two hours and fasting all of the time and surviving on rations because I love you, I love you. We think that we have to look a particular way in order to walk in the blessing of God. But the covenant blessing of God is that God meets you where you are at. And His call is not dependent upon your competency. It's dependent upon His. He is the one who has done the finished work. And because He has said it is finished, because He has come through for us, all He wants is our surrender. That's it. He's like, feed my sheep. If that's all you've got, feed my sheep. If that's all you've got, come follow me. That's it. And it's enough. Because I am the one who does the work. I am the Lord who calls. This is what the work of the Messiah is all about. Taking that which is broken and making it beautiful and then filling you with my spirit and giving you purpose. He's saying, I'm doing away with religion. I'm bringing you into covenant relationship. And we've got to close but it's just been on my heart and I just feel so strongly that there are people here who have got baggage and are feeling burdened and are feeling like you've got nothing to offer God. Well, join the team. Welcome to the family. The church is a hospital for the broken. And we gather together to praise the God of heaven who reigns on high, who rescues, redeems and renews. (laughs) 
And I'm going to get you to stand to your feet. We're going to just sing and declare this over us. But as I finish, let me finish with Romans 8. Oh, I'm getting a fill up preaching. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Someone needs to hear this today. If God is for you, who can be against you? There is nothing that you can do. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ? Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. For through Him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. But I want to pray an encouragement over you. And if you're here today and you're like, man, I needed to hear that. Just if we can close our eyes with every eye closed. If you're like, I needed to hear that. I need a touch from God this morning. Would you just raise your hand and I want to pray over you. God bless you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Father God, I thank you for each person here. Father God, I thank you that when all we have is phileo, you brought agape. You are the God of covenant blessing. I thank you that there is no burden bigger than your blessing. And I declare that blessing. I declare the blood of Jesus over this house, over every single person. I say that you are not finished with them yet. You are not finished with them. They are not done because you are not done working in them. You say that he who began a good work is faithful and he will bring it to completion. And I declare it over every person here. And together, we're going to declare that our God reigns. That He who suffered and died has risen again. And He has ascended to the Father and given His Spirit to the church. That we would know that our God reigns and that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Lies me beside still waters. He restores my soul. One of the great qualities of God is He's the restorer of our souls. What a great word. What a great encouraging word. And it applies to all of us. All of us have got a Peter inside of us somewhere. And all of us need to be restored. We serve an amazing God. It's the God of grace, the God of love. Father, we just thank You for Your Word. Thank you, Father, that you're the God of the second chance, third, fourth, fifth chance. You're the God who restores our soul. Father, I just pray that this word would become a revelation in our hearts. And though the enemy will try to rob us from our relationship with you, that though the enemy will try to keep us in condemnation, Father God, that, Father God, that you would set us free to be everything that you've called us to, to be, Lord God, that you would restore our soul, restore the call of God in our lives so that we can be what you've called us to be. Let this word become a revelation, we pray. And we will give you all the glory and the honour in just due to your name, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.